You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. You're listening to episode 288 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. This podcast would not be happening if we're not for today's guest. I'm joined by Dan Benjamin. He is a podcaster, writer, software developer, and BBQ connoisseur. He's the founder of the 5x5 Podcast Network, where he gets to talk with his friends and heroes while fulfilling his lifelong dream of doing talk radio. He is also the founder of Fireside, a podcast hosting and analytics platform he created to make podcast hosting easy, reliable, and fun. In a past life, he was a CTO of several startups. He has written for Alyssa Part and O'Reilly, made screencasts for Pluralsight, and has been coding for almost two decades. He is based in Austin, Texas, known for its great music, amazing food, especially barbecue, and full-size pickup trucks, all three of which he enjoys immensely. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Dan. Hey, thanks, Brittany. Thanks for having me. What an, what an intro. I hope I can live up to, uh, to that uh, intro you just gave me. Thank you. I'm sure you will. So, Dan, what is your developer origin story? Oh, you know, I first started using computers in the ancient times. I was 11 years old, and this is back in the 80s. Very new thing. Now, you had your choice. You could sit through the 30-minute lecture where they talked to you about programming and then spend the next hour either playing video games or writing code. And I chose writing code because this was a really kind of cool, interesting thing. To put this into perspective of time period, I think this is probably 1982, 83. We're talking pre-Mac, or as we used to call them, Macintosh, pre-Macintosh computers, Apple IIs, and TRS-80s. All of this stuff. I just, I couldn't get enough of it. And of course, we had no internet, so learning was all just trying to figure stuff out, talking to few people that I knew that knew it. I mean, I was still a preteen or early teen at this point and, uh, and getting any books that I could find. And of course you could go and, and find some cast aside book on C++, but then you take that back to your Commodore 64 and you're like, wait a minute, how do I can't just start writing C++? No, it was all basic. So eventually I found my way to actually getting, taking some classes. And then, then in high school, I learned Turbo Pascal and that was a lot of fun. But by the time I was in college, uh, they were doing things like, you know, Pascal was kind of fading away. They were doing things with Modula. And, and I was actually a computer science major for like a whole semester before I changed it to something else. Because the computer science stuff back in those days, and we're talking about the early 90s, it was really, people weren't doing interesting, cool stuff outside of the field of science and math. And there was a lot of very cool stuff in science and math that you could do with computers, but that's not what I wanted to do. I didn't know the world and do it. And the fact that I knew computers, nobody knows how to use a computer at the very least. And software development, like you, there's so many great ways to learn how to write code. You can take a course online. You can take a course anywhere. I mean, there's so much, so many ways to learn, but back then there really wasn't. And so when I got out of college, immediately I interviewed for a job doing development stuff. And, and ever since then, that's what I've been doing. I spent many years doing IT stuff. And, uh, and, and that's, I'm talking about everything from, you know, crawling under a desk to plug in a mouse, uh, all the way to, you know, building out data centers for, for big companies. So I've done all of that, managed teams doing that, software development, worked my way up finally to be a CTO of a company, and I'd done my own business and consulting company for many, many years. So I've 
I've dabbled in everything. And what I think kind of always frustrated me uh, and, and also gave me a bit of an advantage was that I'm very much a generalist. I, I knew people that were so specialized and they were so much better than me, whether it was better at me at writing code or better than me at doing database stuff or building out infrastructure. Everyone was always better at me, but I knew a little bit about everything. And so that works really well if you want to run your own business or start your own business because you have to do everything if you're running your own business. But it always, it was really hard for me because I never fit into that exact mold of like, well, we need like a, a Java developer who's really good at unit tests. Okay, well, that was certainly not me, but I could write really good Java if I wanted to, you know. So I, it was always a struggle. And I think doing web development and especially Rails for me, that was, it was such a joy. And Ruby on Rails, but Ruby in general, was really the first language that I had learned. And I, I've programmed in so many different languages over the years. Ruby was the first one that actually brought me joy when I was using it, where I never felt like I was fighting against the language or, oh, I guess they, I got to do it this way because that's the way they want me to do it. I never really felt that. Sure, there's some of that in Rails, but for the most part, it was very freeing, kind of liberating experience. And I have to thank my friend who I'm not sure if you've interviewed him or not, but you should. His name is Damon Klinkscales, and uh, he's he's very well uh, known here in the Austin development community. And this was back before Rails 1.0 came out. And he said, Dan, I know you like doing Java on the back end and PHP on the front end, but there's this new thing you're going to like. It's called Ruby on Rails. And I said, that's not my favorite name in the world. And he said, it doesn't matter you're going to like it. You should try it. We should do our next project in it. And so I, I picked it up and I loved it. And the rest is history. There's so much to unpack there. First of all, <laughs> I have a very similar education history as you. Really? I also did Pascal in high school. And oh, awesome. I was told uh, back in high school that there were too many people in computer science and they didn't need anyone else, which is so hysterical because today oh, come on. you can't get enough developers. That's all we need, right? <laughs> that is all we need. Also, I love the fact that you picked up Ruby on Rails to do a project where you needed to deliver something and so you needed something to ship. But oh, also yeah. the fact that you noted that you tended to know a little bit of everything. But the thing about Ruby on Rails is if you know a little bit of Rails, that can take you so far. Absolutely. It's just so easy to use. It really is. I mean, the, there's so much in Rails. I mean, I remember the first RailsConf that I wound up getting to go to, and it wasn't that long after I'd started learning it. And it there was a buzz there, but it was still really small. If, you know, if memory serves, I think it was in Chicago. And I, I think all I, I didn't even get to see Chicago. Like I went right from the airport right to the uh, right to the little, I think it was like in a hotel. I mean, it was so small. And like the people giving talks were like three feet away from you on like a, a mock stage that had been set up. But it was like David was just, David Hanemeyer Hans was just, he was just walking around. It's like approachable. You could just sit next to him and talk to him at a thing. And Toby from Shopify were there. And I got to meet all these amazing developers. And it was just so cool. And we knew, but you knew you got a sense like, this is different. Like something cool is happening here. And then the second RailsConf, of course, it was a little bit bigger. And then each year they got bigger and bigger. And I, I think I spoke at three of them in the old times. 
Uh, but what a great crowd. And, and it was also really cool because most of the Rails developers had Macs, which was really different from the other developer conferences I went to. And it just, there was a vibe and it was really cool. That is so cool. And it's so neat that you got to see Ruby on Rails in its infancy and just all the excitement that must have been around it. And just understanding that while the framework didn't have a lot of features to it, there just probably was a confidence across the community that those features were going to exist at some point. Whenever whenever I look at those charts that GitHub and the other places come out with, it'll show like the trending languages and the cool languages and every, you know, and you see Python going up, 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 up. And you know, Ruby or Rails is kind of mm, just kind of there. I'm like, you know, everything else that came after it owes so much to Ruby on Rails because we just, there just wasn't the idea of a scaffold was like, what? It's going to make, <laughs> it's going to make the model. It's going to do the database migration. It's going to make a view and a controller and tests and like all that. It's just doing that for you. Like that was absolutely mind boggling back then. So you teased me about this, but I have to ask, can you tell me the story of how you made the first Ruby on Rails CMS? Yes. And I'm, I mean, I'm sure there's somebody out there who's going to say, no, no, I had the first one, but I'll, I'll say this. This was the first one that, that I knew about. And it was also the first one that was on the main page of rubyonrails.org when it came out. A very good friend of mine, Jeffrey Zeldman, who is uh, an amazing web developer for for many 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 years and has been super helpful in in me with me getting started in my career one of the things that they were struggling with was that they had had a custom cms built uh, that just it wasn't it wasn't living up to what they needed from it there were things they wanted to do there was a new design they wanted to roll out there was a lot happening behind the scenes that they just they couldn't do with the existing system because the guy who wrote it became like a dot-com millionaire and didn't want to waste time with it anymore. So I said, I will build a new one and I'll build it in this crazy new thing called Rails. And they said, whatever you want, you know, you're the one that's going to be babysitting it. So do whatever you want. So I did. And it was, um, it was a huge, I'm sure I could find the article. If I can do it, I'll, I'll send it your way. Cause I don't even remember what year it was, but it was super cool because this was one of the first things that like, this was out there in the world in production being used. And, um, and so, you know, to my knowledge, it was the first or one of the very first uh, CMSs that was ever built. And then, of course, right after that, I started building Corked, which my friend uh, Dan Cederholm, who uh, is the founder of Dribble, or I guess, I guess you're always a founder, even if you leave. He's, I don't think he works there anymore. I think he sold it and he's maybe kayaking out up by, um, you know, in Salem, Massachusetts now, but back in those days, he was just a designer and no dribble existed yet. And he had the idea we were friends and we used to compare tasting notes for different wine that we would try. And, uh, and he said, you know, he says, I've, I've actually had an idea that this could be like a fun sort of social website. And keep in mind, this is back before like, like Facebook existed, but it wasn't what it is today. And there was no Twitter really, or maybe it was super early. And, so, uh, wow, like a, a social network for wine nerds who are not snobby. That sounds kind of fun. And he already had a cool logo for it. And so we started building that. And of course, that was going to be Rails, of course. So I wrote the Rails and he did the design. And, you know, and then I remember we said to each other, if we get in the, in the first week, if we get 500 
users. That we will consider that to be a huge success. We had thousands of users in the first first month or two. We had forty thousand users on that thing. Um, not all of them were daily users, but like active users on it. So that was amazing. And of course, that sold to Gary Vaynerchuk later on. But the um, long story short, those were like two of the first big Rails sites out in the world. And, uh, and I had a hand in them, and it was a very, very cool thing to do. And, and I remember I would go to the rubyonrails.org page, and I would see those two little screenshots of those uh, sites there. And it was always a huge inspiration to think, man, I'm, I, like, I did something in this cool new community. That is so cool. I love that you shared that. So I'd love to ask you, what is the origin story behind 5 by 5 Oh yeah, so uh, I remember this was 2008, and I had just come off a string. I've been CTO of two different companies. Um, one of them was Rails Machine, which is still around, and the other one was a company that's not around anymore, based out of San Francisco. And I was um, I was CTO, and I, I I was finally like that was like the dream for like a person like me is to become like a CTO of a San Francisco startup with a you know, with like a second av address. And I did that and it, I really didn't like it. And so I thought, well, I want to do something else. I had already been podcasting. I used to do, because, okay, well, real rewind. Uh, I had always wanted to do talk radio and I was majoring in talk radio in college, which back at the time was called an RTV radio television communications major, RTV. So I was an RTV major and I had the opportunity to like talk to the biggest radio host in Orlando at the time. And he was like nationally syndicated and he was really successful. And he told me about that business of talk radio and how horrible it was. And at the end of the conversation, I was kind of like, oh, God, I don't want to do that. Sounds terrible. And he's like, yeah, he's like, well, what else can you do? And I said, well, I'm pretty good at computers. And he's like, well, what are you doing talk radio for? Everything is computers. The money's in computers. The, <laughs> the future is computers. Don't do this. And he was right, of course, but I never lost that interest or the desire to do that. I mean, I was the kid in the back of, of class with, uh, you know, a, like a headphone going up the inside of my jean jacket into my ear in the back of class listening to like the local talk guys and Howard Stern and those people back in the old days. And I'm like, I want to do that. So I never really lost my dream or desire to, to do that. And I mean, back in the early 2000s, I would do like a weekly shoutcast stream that maybe five or six people heard. And finally, in 2006, podcasting started to like be something that people even knew about. And I remember I would do a show and I would release it and I was just interviewing like friends of mine and other people I knew in software development and design. And then Apple added podcasts to iTunes and everything broke open and it started to get like to be a real thing. So by 2008, I was already doing a handful of shows and making a little bit of money uh, from advertisers to do it. And it occurred to me that oh, I read an article that Leo Laporte over at Twit they released some figure in this interview about podcasting in the New York Times where he, they were doing like 1.2 or $1 million a year in revenue. And I thought, my God, if they're doing a million dollars in revenue talking about all this geek stuff that I'm doing every day, 
I could pay my mortgage, you know, <laughs> like I, I'm sure I could pay my mortgage. And if I couldn't, I'll just go back to doing rails development and consulting again. And I, you know, I could do that if, so I gave myself like three months said, if I can't make a decent living starting out in these first three months, then I'll just go back to that. So this was about 2008. And so each time I would start another podcast, I was having to go and build a website out for it. And that became a hassle and a pain to keep all these different things updated. And so again, 2008, there weren't a lot of solutions. Like there was Expression Engine, there was WordPress, there was Drupal, but none of them. And I spent a week or so with each of them just trying to configure it to do the stuff that I wanted it to do to automate as much of it as I could possibly automate. I said, you know, there really just isn't anything out there that does enough of this stuff automatically. So I said, fine, I will build it myself. So that was kind of, and I, I, once I had built this system, I said, well, I need a name for it. I didn't really set out thinking I'm going to start a podcast network. It was more like there's some shows I want to do and I'm too lazy to make a new website for all of them. I'll build one website. I'll put them all on it and I'll call it a network. Who cares? It's a, that's what people do. So that was the start of five by five. And we were only like maybe the third or fourth kind of geek focused podcast network that, that had been around. And, and we very quickly grew um, so that I was doing at, 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 at the peak. And this is um, probably in the, yeah, maybe 2011, 2010, 11, 12 were some really big years. I was doing at least three shows a day, an hour to two hours each show, all day, every day, five days a week, and doing ad sales and, you know, updating the website and the software. And I mean, it was, it was a really crazy busy time, but, um, but it was, it was a lot of fun. And, and I came up with the name five by five. The first time I heard that was in the movie Aliens where uh, they are in their little drop ship coming off the big ship to go land on the uh, uh, alien infested world. And the pilot of the drop ship is this cool lady with mirrored sunglasses. And as they're dropping down, she says, we're in the pipe five by five. And I'm like, that's kind of a cool thing. And I'd always remembered that line. So I looked up what that meant. And five by five was like this uh, old school term for talking about signal strength and clarity. So five by five means perfect signal, perfect clarity. And I thought, there you go. So oh, I it. love that. Yeah. I always assumed the network was named after uh, a saying that Faith always said on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So I'm actually really glad that you oh, cleared that I, up. <laughs> I've never watched that show. What is what is that? I know the show, but what was the line? Uh, she was a villain. And so anytime she was hurt or anytime she was about to do something, someone would ask her how she was doing and she would say, I'm five by five. And so, <laughs> Pretty well, way, I, like that. I like that one too. <laughs> me too. Well, um, I'm going to ask you more questions about five by five, but we're going to take a quick break for our first sponsor. This episode of the five by five Ruby on Rails podcast is sponsored by Heffler and Co. A good font is one of the best ways to make your project stand apart. At typography.com, you'll find the work of Heffler & Co., creators of stylish and high-performance typefaces. Their fonts are used by organizations like NPR, cultural institutions like the Guggenheim Museum, and by the people we love, like the Office of Barack and Michelle Obama. And now you can use their fonts, too. H&Co's well-curated library and one-stop licensing options make choosing the right font simple so that you can spend less time looking for fonts and more time using them. H&Co has been designing typefaces for over 30 years and knows how to help designers avoid the pitfalls of using a less-than-perfect font. 
At typography.com, you'll find lots of options, all of them good. Every font filming is built to the same high standard and is designed to have everything you need and nothing you don't. You'll find fonts that have well-thought-out families with great language support and even the most obscure characters, plus tons of tips, tricks, and inspiration to help you get the most out of type. Whether you're designing a website, an app, or an entire identity, H&Co makes it easy to choose the perfect typeface from their library of over 1,500 fonts, including classics like Gotham and Knockout and new favorites like Isotope and Operator. The Ruby on Rails O logo uses their Whitney and Archer fonts. You can try the whole Heffler & Co. font library right in the browser at typography.com. And now for a limited time, as a Ruby on Rails listener, you'll receive 10% off your next purchase from H&Co. Use code Ruby for your discount at checkout. Thank you, Heffler & Co. for sponsoring the show. Now back to you, Dan. How is 5x5 itself, the network, architected? So I started out with a pretty straightforward concept, and that is there are a lot of things that computers are good at doing. That, And the main thing is removing the burden of tedious, repetitive tasks from people. And so I started out pretty simple. I, I think, you know, I'm trying to remember what version of Rails originally I wrote it in. I'm pretty sure it was Rails 2. But I really wanted to build software that would make it so that I could just go in, type a title, description, a couple keywords, and, you know, hit a button to upload a custom cover if I had one, cover art, and a button to hit the audio and hit submit, and it's just going to do everything else. I didn't, you know, having to manually add artwork to your MP3 file every time, that seemed crazy but that's how we used to do it and there weren't even tools to do that back then like now there's software that'll do things like that for you easily back then like you would have to open it in itunes and drop the cover art and export it out like it was it was crazy i thought it's hard enough to create good content it's hard enough to you know edit a show and make it sound good and release it on time and not just record it and sit on it for a week like I don't want to be burdened with all this tedious stuff. So I I spent a lot of time making a list of like, these are the things that as a podcaster for for two or three years at the time, that we the way it is, it's, it's old, it's antiquated, and there's so many better ways of doing it. But as a tool for publishing podcasts, it still works. It works just fine. All the new stuff, all the new effort and energy for the last three or four years I've spent on you know, building Fireside. And 5x5 five five has not gotten a lot of love. But I really did put a lot of time and energy and what helped me make Fireside was actually so much of what I learned about building 5x5 and then the feedback from people like you who, who have used it. I mean, we've had so many shows over the years. At our peak, I think we had 35 to 40 shows happening at, at one time. Every week we would come out with 40 different episodes. And... The feedback that I got from the other podcasters, you know, other people who would use it, I would just, I was just trying to be a sponge and absorb it all. And like, oh, if you could make it do this, that would be great. Or what if it could do this? So behind the scenes, we are, um, we're tracking downloads uh, through a, a simple redirector. So a request comes in, we grab that request, and then we log it into the database, and then redirect the listener to the actual location of the file. And I believe that that application is Rails now, but when I started out, I mean, that's something you, you build it and it just it just runs. I think it was Sinatra when I first wrote that tracker because uh, I wanted to experiment with Sinatra, so I wrote it 
and then that was fine, but I like Rails a little better, so I rewrote it in Rails. And then as far as the presentation layer, you know, it's just, um, it's ERB. I didn't do any Haml stuff uh, because that was what I liked to do back in those days. And it's a relatively straightforward, simple system. There's not too much going on. It sits behind Varnish for the website. And of course, we've got a CDN serving up all the files, which are, um, which are hosted and, and then served up to the CDN all behind the scenes. And of course, the CDN and Varnish gets purged when there's an update, and that works most of the time. And, uh, and it's, that's it. I mean, it's a pretty simple system. And I, I used to have features uh, there where you, could, um, where you could set a publish date in advance and have it auto-publish, but there were people who, other hosts, who would abuse it because they wanted to ha always make sure that their latest episode was the first one in the list of latest episodes on the main page. So I took that away. But, I mean, it's really a straightforward system. It's To be honest, it's not that interesting. I mean, Fireside's much more interesting to me. And and my plan is eventually, as soon as I'm done, I'm, I'm building network support into Fireside, and it's like this close to being done. I'm just working on the design now. Uh, but when I roll that out, my plan is a surprise. I'm going to be moving Fireside five by five all over to to Fireside, so you'll get all the amazing stuff that I've been trying to build over there pretty soon, Brittany. Just be patient. That's exciting. And you'll I'll definitely it. have to share my experience with the the listeners. But I did love the fact that five by five was written in Ruby on Rails, and so. On that note, I'd love to know, how did you know that Ruby on Rails was a topic that was solid enough to launch a podcast off of? You know, I didn't, uh, but I liked it. And for me, there was nothing else. I didn't care. Uh, I thought, this is really cool. This is what I like. So this is what I'm going to do. And I guess that was one of the benefits of quitting your job as a CTO and trying to start something awesome on your own and maybe succeeding was that you could use whatever you want and you can talk about stuff. And if there's an audience to listen, then they'll, you know, there'll be an audience to listen. And, uh, and fortunately there was, and there's, there still is. That's so great. So let's, uh, let's dig into Fireside because I'm really interested in it. So it sounds like based on the podcast that you have on the five by five network and just seeing how listeners, uh, react to things and the podcast hosts, of course, you decided that you were going to approach podcasting with all this knowledge to build a new application. So where did the whole idea come from and what is your eventual plan for fireside.fm? Yeah. Um, so originally I had built five by five, like I said, as, as a solution because there, another solution didn't exist after running five by five for a while, you know, podcasting as an industry has changed so much and is still changing. Like every day I'm learning something new or, or finding out something that I could be doing better. And it was just such a, such an interesting time early on because we were pioneers much more. So I think even though we all are today, if we're podcasters, even more so 10 years ago that there were no rules, but there were also really no guidelines. It was very challenging to try and, put everything together in such a way that that it would make sense. There weren't workflows. We had to invent them. And so everything that I had learned to make building building five by five, I wanted to try and translate that into something that 
other people could use as well. There were a lot of people who had used 5x5 and said, oh, you know, you, you should you should release this. And I said, well, I, this is very specific. Like 5x5 was built for the one vision that I had had for how the 5x5 network and website should work. If I was going to re, re if I was going to build something new, then I would want it to be geared toward the the whole world, all podcasters. But I also knew that things were changing and it would have to be a system that that could really continue to evolve. I didn't want to build something that would just kind of be static. I wanted to build something that would be uh, would be modern and that that I could continuously build. So the foundation and how it would work behind the scenes was really, really important. And the the thing that kind of finally made me say, yeah, I'm going to go do this was that we, the industry changing so fast. I mean, when I, when five by five came out, we were probably like the number two or number three geek focused podcast network in, in the whole world that they used to call us NPR for geeks because NPR didn't have podcasts. So like we could be NPR for geeks, you know, and we talked about software development and develop and, and, um, and rails. And we talked about design and, and Apple. And it was a very interesting time, but as podcast industry began to change, one of the things that happened was we were no longer like the only game in town. So mm-hmm. the companies that used to just write us these huge checks every month and say, just put us on all the shows, that started to change because there were more shows out there. And not only were there more shows, but a lot of them were really good. And in fact, lots of them were great. So we had a lot of competition from other shows. At the same time, advertisers were starting to get smart and say, you know, we shouldn't just be writing blank checks out to people anymore. We should actually try and get some return on this investment. And they started to get more serious about things like metrics and, you know, uh, uh, you know, authenticating unique downloads and things like that. So the industry was growing. Advertisers were getting kind of tighter and they were also spreading out their money a lot more. And it occurred to me that the, the, the golden days of, you know, of podcasting where we could just rake in the cash. Those days were probably over, but it's like the gold rush is over. So, but there's still people who, who want to do this. So we, we would start to make the, the picks and shovels for other people to go and mine their own gold. And so that, that was kind of the idea that I had. I said, you know, this is a good time because when I went out there and looked at the other podcast hosting companies that were out there, most of them or if not all of them, were made by people who weren't podcasters. And that's still the case. Most of the podcast hosting, oh, well, they'll say they're podcasters, sure, because they have a podcast. That's different. I've been doing, I'm, I'm not bragging, but like I'd been doing this for 10 years before I built Fireside. I know the struggles that we as podcasters really have. And, and it's very different to do something for like 10 years than it is to like, have a 30 minute podcast you do once a week. I'm sorry, it just is. And so I would go out and I tried these other systems. I said, you know what? They're not good enough. They are not good enough. We need better tools and I will do my very best to build them. And maybe I've been successful in some ways. Maybe I have have not. And I know there's so much more to do. And it's suddenly become like the podcast hosting industry is like super competitive now. Oh and my I God, yes. I, it's crazy. And I hate that because I'm just here to like build the best thing that I can build, you know? And and I think this is something that we as developers 
often struggle with because like we really like developing, but you know what I don't really like doing is like promoting my stuff. I just, that's like, I know I have to do it and maybe I'm okay at it, but I really like building it. I really like building the stuff and like, Oh, here's this cool new feature. And so they'll all see these other companies are coming out and they're like, they're announcing this amazing new feature that Fireside did a year ago. And I just never really talked about it. I'm like, oh, well, I guess that was a missed opportunity. Should have written a press release for that. But, you know, but that's the whole thing of like, as you, as you step out of just, I'm, I'm the person writing code to, I'm the person running a business. Now you, you have to promote that too. And so you know, it's, it's real tough to, to mix all these things together, but it's still, it's such a fun industry and getting feedback from users. My biggest struggle as a developer, my whole life has always been launching that thing, you know, because when it's out there, now you're going to be like responsible for it and people are going to want support for it, especially if they're paying and even if they're not. And then you know, you've got to promote this thing that you built and you've got to, you've got to talk about it. You've got to keep going with it. I've been doing fireside now, like three years. I still have not hit that point where I'm like, I just don't want to work on it anymore. And I think the reason why, and who hasn't felt that, right? Right. Brittany, come on. We've all, oh, felt absolutely. That. We've all felt that. I haven't hit it yet because I put it out there and because I know that like thousands of people are using it every day and they're, better hopefully i mean i i would think they wouldn't stick around if they weren't but they're better off for it and in some small tiny little way maybe i'm helping people do something that they like to do or i'm i'm making something that they do less frustrating and so those are really huge things for me and really inspirational things for me so then anytime i kind of feel like uh i don't really want to integrate with the youtube api to so people can like publish their podcasts to YouTube. That's something people do. So I'm building a feature to automate that. I don't want to build that feature. It's not interesting to me. I don't think people should be publishing show episodes of a podcast to YouTube, but they want to. So I've got to build it, but it's going to make people happy. So I do kind of want to build it, you know, and that's the difference. And that was the thing that if I had really seen that picture when I was a new developer, hesitating to release anything, hesitating to make a business or launch something because I was so scared that I was gonna have to support it or what if people hated it or what if it sucked, what if it failed, that it's better to do something and take that risk, even if it does fail, than it is to, to, to just kind of not release the thing at all. I couldn't agree with you more. It sounds like a lot of the experiences that you've had with 555 has taught you that it's okay to put something out there. And if it doesn't work, that's okay. Move on to something else. And it's the same with building an application. You know, data doesn't lie. And if your users really want a feature, you want to dig into why they want it. And if the, the cause is legitimate, then you really need to think hard. Now, in terms of the podcast industry, I felt like a big game changer was whenever the newspapers started putting out podcasts. Oh, because yeah. now you've got a dying industry. Right. Tons of journalists who are A-plus at turning out news and interesting articles and now you have their marketing arms who are pushing these podcasts and setting these premium levels and guarding them and whatnot and that's when i felt like the podcast industry really took a turn i totally agree you're you're totally right and there's it's still like every day i wake up and and there's something new happening in in the world of podcasting and i think if 
you know, there, I'm sure many of your listeners uh, are working behind the scenes. You know, they're working on projects that that maybe don't get to be seen in the public or that they can't even talk about because they're, you know, one of several developers on a secret project or an internal project or something. But I still think that there are ways to to see how people are using the software that you're doing that that can bring you some joy, especially when you're struggling with something or there's just some tricky problem and you're like, oh, no one's even going to care. People care. They do care. And I think everything matters. All the work you're doing matters. It does matter. Now, before we wrap up, we are going to take a quick break for our last sponsor, which is Datadog. Datadog is a monitoring and analytics platform for cloud scale infrastructure applications and logs. Datadog integrates seamlessly with more than 350 technologies so you can track every layer of your complex microservice architecture all in one place. Distributed tracing for Ruby applications and APM provide end-to-end visibility into requests wherever they go, across hosts, containers, and service boundaries. With rich dashboards, algorithmic alerts, and collaboration tools, Datadog provides your team with the tools they need to quickly troubleshoot and optimize modern applications. See for yourself. Start a 14-day free trial today, and Datadog will even send you a free t-shirt. Just visit datadoghq.com slash rubyonrails. Link will be in the show notes. Thank you to Datadog for sponsoring the show. Well, Dan, I cannot thank you enough for joining me on the show today. How can listeners follow you in 555? Oh, thanks uh, so much for having me here. The the best way to find me, I mean, if I, I don't tweet a lot uh, these days, but I'm Dan Benjamin on Twitter. Um, I'm Dan Benjamin on Instagram. If you want to follow me there, I do, do a lot of fun. I have a lot of fun with uh, Instagram these days. But... Uh, yeah, 5x5.tv is where you can go to hear this great show and all the all the other shows that we, we put out. And fireside.fm is the place to go if you are a podcaster and you'd like to host your own show. And that's it. I do uh, a handful of shows on 5x5, and we're coming out with a new season of uh, Podcast Method soon. So if there are budding podcasters in your audience, that would be a place to go. But keep listening to this show because the more, you know, tell tell your friends. Brittany's a great host of it. And uh, tell your friends how much you like this show so, so she can get more listeners and do more Ruby on Rails podcasting. I love that. A personal thank you for all the work you've done on 5 by 5 This podcast would not be possible without you. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And I will be talking to you next week. Thanks, Dan. Thank you.